Okay, so you, you know the text, Titus 2, 3 to 5. That's where we're going to mainly be. Um, but I kind of want to give you a little bit of uh, introduction, some context. You all have a little bit of an outline um, in front of you, just some thoughts on context. Because as we dwell, delve into the teachings of Titus 2, 3 to 5 this morning, we're actually kind of got to leave your Western mindset at the door because we're embarking on a journey to the mountainous island of Crete. How many of you have ever visited Crete? That's the setting. One person? I've been there as well. Yeah. Um, It's situated southeast of Greece, you know, if you ever get a chance to travel there. But at this time, when this letter was written, um, uh, there was, this land was, had like a notorious, the people that lived there had a notorious reputation both morally and socially. And so uh, the Apostle Paul um, left his trusted friend Titus, right? Left his trusted friend Titus, his ministry partner, with a dual mission. And we learn um, in verse 5 of Titus chapter 1 that he was left with the task of organizing the churches, because it was more than one church, okay? House churches more than likely, And also, within all of that, he had the significant responsibility of appointing qualified men to the office of elder. What a task, right? What a task. So that's kind of the ancient context of what's happening. And these Cretan churches, they they face challenges. And so Paul's instructions to Titus are encompassed uh, with just a comprehensive plan for putting things in order. And, and it's kind of neat because he gives various groups within the church, and we find out that one of those groups was the older women, and they had a very, very crucial role um, within the church. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. So go ahead and open to Titus 2. We're going to uncover together timeless wisdom um, that was imparted to these women by the apostle, really through Titus. Um, not a wisdom not only attended, intended for them, but truths that are meant to teach and reprove and correct and train our own hearts this morning. So this is for you. Um, and I'm going to read from the Legacy Standard Bible, starting, but I'm going to start with verse 1 of Titus 2 and then read through 5. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. So just some additional thoughts on context is, in essence, um, the text that we're looking at this morning, Titus 2, is a text in God's Word that's really part of Paul's strategy for discipleship within the local church. Um, For women, in this particular narrowed focus, to engage really also in the Great Commission um, as they engage in the one another's by seeking to obey all that Christ has commanded. And in it, we find that, pa- that Paul is actually challenging Titus, who was the pastor of the churches in Crete, to equip the older, mature women to guard the truth by teaching and training a younger generation of women to love and fear the Lord through their words, through their various giftings, 
And, um, you know, just uh, their example, right? A lot of it's modeling, for sure. Um, Rather than giving out worldly advice. Why? So that the word of God will not be reviled. That's a big part of it. Now, believe me when I tell you, I'm a mom. I'm a grandmom. Actually, I'm a Mimi. Um, I am a professor of young women. And so I know firsthand that these dear ones, these young women in my life, they get tons and tons of advice from the world, don't they? Tons and tons. Everything from womanhood to sexuality to identity to relationship advice and so much more. But as women in Christ, our advice, or better yet, our wisdom, our counsel needs to be set apart from the world. Do you agree? Where's Francine's amen? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and so really, our wisdom needs to be clothed in God's truth, especially in a world that promotes what? My own personal truth. Isn't that the mantra of our post-postmodern world? For sure. But really, the primary objective here is to integrate God's word into all areas of life, whether it be in the context of being a wife, a mother, a college student, um, a single, widowed, workers at home, or even workers outside of home. It doesn't matter, whatever your context. We want to know how to integrate God's word um, into all areas of life. And so, as sisters in Christ, if we don't see the value of implementing God's sufficient truth into our lives by applying it for his glory, then our Christian walk becomes nothing more than intellectual, right? Or academic, or just a bunch of biblical or moral information. And to be sure, you know, we need to know and understand God's word, but we're called to apply it. We're called to apply it to all areas of life. And Honestly, I I think in all the years I've been a believer, I think I'm coming up on 32 years or so, it happens best in the life-on-life, one-on-one context, actually. Um, So, as I've read and heard many times, we're a product of our theology. So, in other words, what you believe about God is going to show up in your everyday life, whether that be at work, at home, at school, or even at Grace Community Church. And going back to Titus 2 and really kind of considering the culture at the time, No doubt, the teaching and training of the older women were to engage with the younger women would primarily be focused in the private ministry um, of the woman's home. Their instruction would have been by word, but also by example, I would say. And so what that infers, ladies, is that they were were instructing. It was taught, but was also caught, as it were, right, in the context of relationship. And that's a really important aspect to this. We learn from this passage that part of the call for the older woman is a call to be involved (laughs) in a younger woman's life. As believers, aren't we a part of a family? We're sisters in Christ, right? And we're not to isolate from one another or leave discipleship as the responsibility of the trained biblical counselor or the pastor. We're all to be doing this. This is a call for all of us. Um, But older women, we have a responsibility here to share our gifts and God's truth with the younger generation. Um, And we read that whole passage, so we see man to man and woman to woman. And that's really God's strategy for discipleship within the local church. Now, when I first became a believer, I actually spent a lot of time with the older women in my church because I didn't know what was going on. I was 29 years old. I was a feminist, like like the one that you don't want to be, spend much time with. And, and so I didn't know. 
And so here I am married. I'd been married six years at this point. I already had children. And I needed an older godly woman or two or three to come alongside me and to model godly womanhood. That was such an important part in my life. I treasure the fact that God allowed me to have that. Um, In those settings, I was allowed to, or I just observed attitudes and behaviors with one another within the marriage setting. And you know what? Even when they failed, it was still a great opportunity to see how, um, you know, a couple in Christ confesses and forgives one another. Um, that, That was foreign to me. And so I would encourage you, uh, whether you're married or single, doesn't matter. Um, make it a priority to seek out a seasoned, mature woman in the church. <clears throat> Take her to coffee. Spend time with her. It doesn't have to be super formal, you know. Take her to coffee. Ask questions about her testimony. That's always a good little icebreaker. Let's share testimony. Ask her about her life. You're going to be blessed. And then I want to encourage any seasoned, mature women out here. You know who you are. <laughs> Um, don't be afraid if a younger woman comes to you and wants to go to coffee with you. To say, absolutely, it would be my absolute delight, okay? There's nothing better than that. Um, nobody's asking you to do formal biblical counseling in these settings, right? This is just getting to know one another so we can practice the one another's, right? And so I would encourage you. You will be so blessed by such a special opportunity And that, you know, because what we're basically doing is we're trying to encourage and support one another as we navigate in this crazy world. (laughs) You know, we need it. We need it just as much as anybody. So with that, let's just kind of unpack that first point together um, where it says sound doctrine shapes character. That'll be our first point. Sound doctrine shapes character. So we see in Titus 2.3 that it's emphasizing the importance of sound doctrine shaping the character of the older woman's life. Um, So what's doctrine? It's just simply the truths that we know theologically and the truths that we apply for the glory of God, right? It's the truths that we know theologically and the truths that we apply for the glory of God. For the older men, we read in verse 2 that Titus was to exhort them on qualities such as temperance and dignity and just a firm foundation in faith, love, and perseverance. But similarly, Paul instructed Titus to exhort the older women in the church to exhibit reverence in their life, to avoid gossip um, and excessive indulgences, and really just actively engage in teaching what is good to the younger women. And this, this correlation highlights that sound doctrine is just not theoretical. It's not just a bunch of head knowledge, right? Um, it should have a tangible impact on our behavior as believers, Right? So who is this older woman that Paul is talking about? Maybe we can just dig into that a little bit. Firstly, um, just kind of thinking through season of life here, um, you know, there, there really isn't an age specified there, but what it's inferring, and just kind of the word that he uses in the original language, it's inferring in context that this woman has been married long enough uh, to at least have insight into marriage. She's not new, newly married, right? Or old enough to pass through various seasons of life, including raising children. But in principle, the older woman doesn't necessarily have to be married, and she doesn't even necessarily have to be a mom. Um, So really the emphasis here is on her maturity and faith with Christ Jesus, which happens over time, doesn't it? As God 
works in our heart and conforms us minute by minute and year by year into Christ's likeness. So, you know, Titus was exhorted to remind these older women just to be sound in their doctrine, to continue to be deep in your faith and to have an understanding of the word of God and not to be swayed by every wind of doctrine. And Paul illustrates for us in verse 3 what happens when an older woman has learned sound doctrine and she's applied it to her own life. Her character just gives her away. Absolutely. Um, Firstly, we see that she's reverent in her behavior. She's not a malicious gossip or enslaved to much wine, but she's more interested in investing in the next generation for the glory of God. And um, I think a good visual for this is to kind of think of for those of you that like visual, um, I'm kind of a visual person, but I was thinking about this. Um, you know, some of you might have pine trees in your yard or you've gone up to Big Sur. They have so many pine trees up there. And a pine tree um, has roots that spread out wide, but they're not very deep. And when the wind comes, they're very swayed and they eventually uproot. And if you've ever gone up north, uh, you see a lot of pine trees on the ground when there's a big windstorm. Not very deep. But compare that to an oak tree. How many of you got those in your yard? They're just, they're deep. Their roots are deep. And if you ever have to remove one from your yard, it's a very difficult undertaking. Plus, it's illegal in California, so you're not allowed to. But anyway, beside that, in the same way, Paul is pointing to an older woman who is deep in her faith. She has deep roots. She has a deep understanding of the word of God, and she is not swayed as a result by every wind of doctrine. Instead, how he's characterizing her here is that she is steadfast, and she's immovable, and she's abounding in the work of the Lord. And, and that produces a woman who looks so much different than the world, does it not? I know you know some of these women. You know they're different. You know they're different. They're so different from the world. Um, and what it makes me think of, actually, because the analogy of a tree is a good one because we see it in Scripture a lot, and it makes me think of the, the tree, um, well, Psalm 1, actually, that uses the imagery of a tree, the one that delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night, who, who is firmly planted by the streams of water, and that picture there is by the word of God. And so when the storms of life come, she's still producing fruit, right? It doesn't matter what the weather is, right? And so that's the kind of picture that Paul is giving um, with this older Titus woman. There, there's fruit in her, in her life no matter the season, even if it's a hard one. She's a woman who's wise in her walk, and she delights in the law of the Lord. Um, in, in New Testament times, we have so many saints who showcase soundness and doctrine. It's, it's neat that we just have examples in Scripture. And one example that I was thinking through is found in Luke 1, uh, 39 to 45. You can just note it or highlight it because um, we don't have time to unpack it. But what I want to say about it is that's, that's the section in Scripture where you have a young Mary and her cousin Elizabeth you know, and Mary finally gets to Elizabeth when she finds out that she's pregnant. And Mary, um, and then of course Mary's preparing to give, um, is pregnant with a savior. But Elizabeth is characterized as a woman who had a high view of God and his word as well as his working. 
in her life and one who practically encourages Mary in fulfilling the scripture. So read it on your own because it really is a good picture of that. And it's just really sweet to see that. It, it gives us hope. Now, we can expand a little bit more on our Titus II woman, what's expected in her character, what are some distinguishing virtues. And, of course, we, we've said it already, but in verse 3, we're told that she's reverent in her behavior. Original language is really important. What is Paul even talking about here? Um, he took two words that are translated temple and fitting in the English, and he put them together. And when you put those words together, what it means is it's suited, this woman is suited to sacred character or sacred service or that which is proper and fitting. It's unusual, and he only uses it here. I think that's interesting when you find these little words that he doesn't use anywhere else. Um, but it's suggesting that this is a way of life for the older woman in the church, that her role should be as appropriate as a priestess, if you will, serving in God's temple. In other words, the older Christian woman that God has in mind is an example of holiness. That's what he's getting at. Not only does she walk in integrity here at church, but she also lives out what she professes in the four walls of her home. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the thing that stands out to me is the one guy they talk about where he is an angel at church, but he's a devil at home. But she's not that. She has integrity, right? She has integrity. The older Christian woman is an example of holiness. Um, And this woman's demeanor or her behavior reflects who God says she is in Christ. She is a woman who lives by faith in the Son of God, one who does not live for self, but lives for Christ who is in her. And that's just taken from Galatians 2.20. And you know what? We have a wonderful biblical example of that. How many of you are familiar with Anna the prophetess? She is a wonderful example. I almost wonder if Paul was thinking of her when he wrote that. Because it just really, really um, seems to uh, really reflect her. But anyway, Anna's story is in Luke 2, verses 36 to 38. And I'll just tell you a little bit about her, but you can highlight that and read it on your own. But basically, Anna was married for seven years, and then she was widowed. Now, we know in ancient context, women got married very young. So she was just probably barely in her 20s or something when she got widowed. But she didn't, she didn't get remarried, but just despite that, it doesn't matter. She was a widow, but it didn't stop her from living a reverent life. Um, for example, what you're going to find out about her when you read that passage is she is a woman who never left the temple. She served in the temple day and night with fasting and prayers. She was a woman characterized as giving thanks to God, Right? And she was a woman who continued to speak about Messiah to all who were looking for him. She was an evangelist at heart, really. Um, And so Luke characterizes Anna as reverent and devout, or we could say holy or priest-like, if you will. And her sacred character influenced every aspect of her life, as it should with every woman, including myself, young and old, who considers herself to be a disciple of Christ, okay? Now, even though many of us in this room may consider ourselves as older women, and I think I heard Nate Busnitz teach on this passage once, and it was funny because I know that women were probably still bearing children in their 40s and 50s. (laughs) But, um, you know, 
any, so wherever you want to take that. But if you consider yourself an, an older woman who's walked with the Lord many years, um, you should realize that you should never want to stop growing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I've been a believer for 30, almost 32 years. I, don't, I still want to grow in Christ. I haven't arrived. And so we, we need to have that. Um, there should always be an evidence of growth taking place in all of us, like those oak trees. And that's why we don't wait, ladies, until a magical age to develop spiritual maturity, okay? Some of you are just really young, but you should be a Titus II woman in the making, right? Um, From the moan of your salvation, by God's grace, of course. And whether you consider yourself older in the faith um, this morning or older in training, just, just I want you to consider some of these questions. I'm, a, I'm a, obviously a biblical counselor at heart, so you're not going to get away without having some questions to kind of get under the grill a little bit, right? But let's, let's, let's ponder some of those questions. I think they're good to ask. As you reflect on your life and just what I'm saying, does your life manifest reverent behavior? If so, is it consistent, whether you're at home, church, work, school. Think about that. And if the answer is yes, which I pray it is, um, how's it manifesting in your life? What does it actually look like? Uh, You can write things down if you want. Um, What do you really see in your heart? Do you see a commitment to God and his glory and the benefit of others? And if your answer was no to question one, then how do you, what do you need to change? What do you need to change? What sin in your life do you feel you need to confess? Um, what, what area of reverence do you want to grow in? And, and that's between you and the Lord, isn't it? We just want to encourage you. <clears throat> and, and, and to make it even more practical, what, what is that change actually going to look like? You know, don't make it nebulous. Make it specific. What do you need to change? What commitment can I make today for God's glory? And the reason why we ask reflective heart questions is because we desire that the words that we speak and the manner in which we behave would reflect the sound doctrine that we know and that we believe so that God and his word will not be dishonored, right? Okay, so we've got reverent in behavior, but she's also someone who doesn't engage in malicious gossip. That's a hard one, isn't it? Such a hard one. In the original language, that word means to be devilish or malicious. The, 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 the Greek word is uh, diabolos. And the essence of the meaning is just kind of means it's a woman, a woman who's characterized as a malicious gossip is someone that repudiates or gives false information. She's kind of a talebearer, so to speak. Um, but the idea that Paul is trying to convey is that people, and in this case, more specifically, older women who cannot control their tongues by speaking lies or making false accusations or spreading malicious gossip, whether it's true or untrue, do the work of Satan himself. So they can't be slanderers and serve God. That's kind of where he's getting at. So it seems like there must have been a problem in these churches. <laughs> you know, why bring this up? This seems to be an issue with some older women in Crete, I suppose. There must have been women that had issues with slander and tail-bearing. Um, but is that any different than what we experience today? I don't think this is isolated. This is stuff that we all struggle with. It's, it's such a temptation that's common to man. So if we want to grow 
as women in godliness, we, by speaking the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, we, we have to be women, young and old, married, single, whatever your season in life. We have to be committed to guarding our hearts from engaging in this type of sin because it has such a huge impact on the body of Christ. We, we forget about the bigger picture, don't we? And I gave you some Proverbs, um, you know, the sowing, the sowing reaping principle. Proverbs is great for that. But let's think about this for a moment. Proverbs 6.19 reminds us that a false witness, or we could say a malicious gossip, who breathes out lies, spreads strife among brothers. Do you see what it reaps? That's huge. Proverbs 16.28 reminds us that a perverse man spreads strife, and a whisperer, which is another uh, synonym for uh, malicious gossip, separates close companions, and some versions say friends, right? And then Proverbs twenty five twenty three, the north wind brings forth rain and a tongue of secrets, an indignant face. And what that's really saying is that malicious gossips leads to anger, which does not reflect holiness at all, right? So we have to be careful. You know, it's so important as women who profess to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that we model biblical speech, um, in our own lives, we, we must strive to live in the light of the gospel and with the Lord's help to be committed. You know, turn to Ephesians 4.29. I'll show you right there. That's, that would be a good example of what the Lord would like us to be committed to. And remember, by the time you get into Ephesians 4, it's in light of the doctrine you know. So you have a responsibility here. And Paul tells us that we are not to be engaging in rotten speech, you know, um, rotten words. And that can certainly be slander and gossip and filthiness and the like. But what kind of words are we to speak? Words that, what, build up? Words that bring grace to those who hear. And can I tell you something? We can speak the truth. But do you notice in that passage it says timely? Are there times in your life where you bring the truth to bear, but it's not timely? (laughs) I've certainly done that. You know what I mean. So we want to be, if you go to Ephesians 5 verse 1, we want to be imitators of God. Okay, so it's on the heels of that, or it's a little bit before that. That's fitting for sound doctrine. That helps churches to be unified. That gives God ultimate glory. And so what proceeds from your thoughts, from your mouth, from your life, your behavior, it should reflect a heart that loves God with your whole heart, mind, and soul and loves your neighbor as yourself. And that would be something that we would ask God to help us with. And so, of course, let me give you another set of questions. Let's think about this because we want to continue to grow. So what do your words, maybe I should have said, think about the last conversation you had. What do your words reflect in your heart? these days. Jesus is the one that tells us in Matthew, I think it's 18. I think I'm getting that right. I hope I've got that right. That out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what are you hearing, ladies? Are you hearing rotten speech or gracious speech? Perhaps this is an area that you've grown in. Do you hear words coming out of your mouth that are building people up around you? Or are you you speaking words that are tearing people down? Or is your speech gentle? Boy, is that a dying virtue in our society? Um, Or your words harsh, which would be in keeping with society. (laughs) Um, Gossip or God's truth, okay? 
What about your speech needs to be changed, if anything? Is there rotten speech that you need to confess? Maybe you need help in learning how to be more about building people up and extending grace towards others. That, that just says discipleship all over it, right? So here's one that's really important if this is a struggle for you. Who are you tempted to slander with? Who are you tempted to gossip with? Maybe that's a better word. Um, you need to think about that, okay? Because if you're not the stronger sister in the bunch, you're going to be gossiping or succumbing to the gossip yourself. So anyway, how can we change in an effort to practice gracious speech? And again, just another set of good probing questions to get us thinking. And, and just to remember, you know, you may be feeling like I'm pointing my finger at you, but how many fingers are pointing back at me? Three, right? I had to write this stuff first and filter it through my heart before <laughs> I brought it to bear. So we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Next one, next characteristic that Paul talks about is that this Titus to woman is not to be enslaved to much wine. And so the emphasis there being on the word enslaved, that's doulos. What does that mean? It just means that this woman should not be controlled by anything. And specifically, he's talking about wine in this context. So obviously, that must have been a problem in the culture there. But in the same way, we shouldn't be in bondage to those things either. Um, because it's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit when you're enslaved to other things. You, you don't have um, self-control. So he's just saying that if an older woman's cravings lead to sinful desires or attitudes that are acted upon, that actually contradicts reverent behavior um, that we just spoke about. And actually it does the opposite by causing harm to themselves and to others. Um, and so the purpose of not being enslaved to things like wine is so that the word of God will not be maligned. And so scripture is clear. What do we know? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit, he's in us, the believer. We've received him from God. You're not your own. You've been bought at a price. And so we're exhorted in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 to glorify God in your body. Um, that's in the context of actual sexual immorality, but still the principle is pretty clear in all areas that we are to glorify God in our body. And so um, wine or strong drink isn't, isn't to be something that we're enslaved to, but is that the only thing that women struggle with as far as being enslaved to stuff? Come on, let's talk it. Can we talk? What about our emotions, ladies? <laughs> Can we be enslaved to those things? Absolutely. We can be controlled by emotions. We can be controlled by the opinion of others, right? More than the opinion of God. We can be enslaved to lustful thinking rather than what is pure and lovely and excellent and of good reputation. We can be uh, enslaved to things like shopping or food. We can run all kinds of false shelters if we're not careful, um, but the point is, we're not to be enslaved to those things. And according to Ephesians 5.18, in the talking to believers there, we're, we're only to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and nothing else. We're called to be slaves of Christ and to his righteousness. So this older woman, she is called to exhibit self-control in all areas of her life. She's not perfect. She's not a perfect woman, but she is a woman who is striving after godliness while abiding in Christ. She trusts in God, and she does what is good. Last set of x-ray questions there with respect to being enslaved. 
um, you know, just real quick, you know, just kind of thinking through, is there anything in your life right now that's ruling or controlling you other than God? Um, are you mastered by anything or anyone other than Christ? And what, and this is important because you don't really kind of think this out well, but what are you willing to sin to get or sin if you don't get? Okay, sometimes you want something so bad, you know, it's such a demand in our hearts that we're willing to sin to get it. That's enslavement, if you think like that. And so you got to think about that. And then how does your life today need to reflect Christ more fully? And aren't you thankful that if you're stuck in some kind of rut right now, that you can go to the Lord and you can seek his forgiveness, that he will forgive you and he will help you and you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. You're not alone here. This is a blessing. This is a blessing. Okay. So that leads us to our next point this morning, which is seasoned spiritual guidance. Seasoned, spirit, or seasoned guidance encourages spiritual maturity. I have something different on my notes, but I like the one on your outline better. <laughs> So in verse 3 of Titus 2, Paul not only hones in on the character of the Titus 2 woman, but he also commissions her to instruct the young woman in sensibility, or we could say to bring her to her senses by teaching her what is good. And teaching what is good is not simply imparting facts about God or, or instructing on spiritual disciplines like the importance of Bible study or memorizing scripture or how to pray although those are so important to do, but that's not all that he's talking about. Um, Teaching what is good also involves women who view God's word as sufficient for life and godliness, who understand and embrace what God teaches as it relates to important issues impacting women today. Like we think of things like biblical womanhood, um, but from creation all the way through the New Testament. And women who just seek to impart those truths to other women by just encouraging them to live in such a way as to glorify God in their life. So really the goal that Paul is after here is for the older women to encourage the younger women towards maturity in Christ. That's just a simpler way to say it, but that's really what he's saying. So let's kind of go through the list, right? Let's look at that first thing, that first idea that he has there in Titus 2 and understand what the woman's counsel is here. So that first exhortation that we see is loving your husband. The, the older woman is to train the young woman in the self-discipline of loving her husband. What does he mean by that? Well, it has the idea of being very fond of your husband and just considering him a dear friend. It's that kind of love. It's phileo love. Um, when I was, my previous church, um, the pastor's wife, her name is Lisa Hughes. She's a dear friend. And she wrote a book called God's Priorities for Today's Woman. And she says in her book that this, this phileo love that Paul is talking about, it's a deep friendship love that you have with your spouse, your husband, and it's evident to other people. Very evident. The recipients recognize it as well. And, and what I would add to that wonderful quote is that phileo love is not based on your husband's worthiness, ladies. It's not conditional in that sense. We love them uh, because we're called to love our husbands. It's the kind of love that Pastor John says is a willing, determined love, and it's ex- extended by a wife's affectionate and obedient heart. What a wonderful way to encourage a young married woman, especially in a culture that 
hates marriage. Don't you want to be an older woman that encourages uh, good marriages, loving your husband, things like that? Because the culture's not doing that. They just think marriage is just whatever. Um, not very important. But we know that God created marriage, so it's important to us. And we need to encourage younger women to love their husband, even when those husbands are not being very lovable, <laughs> right? Um, or you might be in a situation where you're just encouraging a single woman as she is maybe heading towards marriage, thinking about marriage, whatever. You know, you can still encourage women in this way. It's better, single ladies, to know this on the front end. Don't you want to know this stuff on the front end before you get married? It's important because it's important to God. Older women, don't be frightened to do this. When you, when you talk to some of these young gals, don't be frightened to share some of these truths. Just draw on your own life experience, you know. Share your life. Encourage her from the word and encourage her from your life, um, some of these things. Uh, one, one truth that kind of correlates with this idea is you seek to, to you know, disciple somebody um, one thing I want to throw out there, because I think we, we, get, we forget this, but if you're married, your husband is your primary ministry. He's your primary ministry. He comes before the children, okay? He comes before your ministry here at church. He comes before your work, you know, or your schooling or whatever it is you're involved in. He is our primary ministry. Um, and so um, sometimes it's just a matter of encouraging younger women to have a balance in their life. Okay, does it reflect that? Um, that can be helpful. Um, so kind of think on that. And then on that point, Pastor John just reminds us out of a, one of his books that a healthy church will have a strong witness in the world because its members are obedient to the will of the Lord. And that first commandment for wives to love their husbands is no exception. We obey it because we love Christ. First and foremost, we desire to be a witness to the world. Um, especially in a world that says, oh, no, you do you. <laughs> you be your own woman. I am woman, hear me roar, you know, whatever the feminists say these days. Um, but that's not us. If we are in Christ, we've been called to something different. Scripture tells us that we've been chosen, set apart, forgiven, and loved by God. And what better way to be a billboard for the gospel than to obey this command to love your husbands? right? Because that's essentially what we're doing. That's what Titus talks about later, that when you were saved, that, it, that we're being trained towards righteousness, and that's part of it. Well, the next bit of counsel that an older woman could encourage or train a younger woman in so that she might grow in, in, in godliness is just to love her children. Love her children. So many of you do that so well. Um, and the idea behind this exhortation is, to, is for this love, is for the love is for the mother to think of her children in a very tender way or in a very beloved way. She's to be so familiarized with her children and their ways. Um, and so you kind of get a sense that this, there's a sort of shepherding aspect to it, you know, as we come alongside our children and we love them, you know, um, it's interesting because I'm in this stage of life where I get to see my babies be mommies or daddies. And it's, it's really fun for me to see that. And it's an exciting time of life. But I, I know from experience with new babies comes sleep deprivation. It's <laughs> probably why my, I don't think my daughter's here, but she couldn't come. She wanted to so badly. She has a new baby and she's like, I only got two hours of sleep last night. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> All kinds of different pressures come with being mommies. 
And so it's just a blessing to come alongside and encourage my daughter, my daughter-in-laws, to um, just to be sympathetic towards them, continue to encourage them, to serve them. That's kind of my role. I feel like I'm just serving my kids all the time, and I love it. I love my kids. Um, they're all adults now, but I love hanging out with them and just seeing them in their new roles, um, loving their children, even when those little critters... Dr. Dr. Street calls them vipers and diapers. I don't know if I would go that far because my, my children are not... My grandchildren are not vipers and diapers. But anyway... Um, you know, sometimes they just don't sleep. Sometimes they want to eat every hour. (laughs) Sometimes they just cry for absolutely no reason. You just can't figure it out. Nobody knows why, but it's just so good to be an older woman that can come alongside a younger gal in this stage of life with love and with care and with encouragement to just to continue on. (laughs) You know, you're doing a good work. You really are. Um, and, and, and so older women, you know, be about that. Be about encouraging our younger women. And younger women, it's so good if you would just allow us to do that, okay? I know it's hard. Sometimes you filter your parenting through how you were parented, but we're not all like that, <laughs> you know, if there's something you're reacting to. But you need us to come alongside you and encourage you in these areas. We want to. You don't have to do it all. Get rid of that Pinterest. Take that app off your phone right now. Um, we're here to encourage you because we love you. And so let us be a family like that together. I think that's just really sweet. The next bit of counsel that an older woman can give to train a younger woman is just to be sensible. That counsel is not isolated to the married woman. This is actually a timeless principle for all of us, young and old, married and single. Um, Sometimes we think about sensibility, kind of liking it to a definition of maybe being practical or functional or something like that. But Paul's meaning is much richer than that. He's talking about encompassing self-control in your, your life and your behavior or emotions, just how you think. It's, it's sort of a whole person response. And interestingly, as you study the entire letter to Titus, this character quality of being sensible is, is just a recurring theme. It's not just for the younger woman. It's for the older woman. You'll notice it's for the elders. You'll notice it's for the older men. You'll notice it's for the younger men. It's just for all Christians. Um, and he even brings that up um, when you kind of continue down towards verse 12 in chapter 2. But as older women, you know, how might we model and then train a younger woman towards sensibility that God desires to see in all of us who have been saved? Practically speaking, um, one way an older woman could encourage a younger woman is to grow in this way is just to encourage her to spend time in God's word. I can't think of a better way than to, to encourage someone to do that or to be in the word with them, some kind of accountability, um, learning more about God, you know, what it even means to be sensible in the Christian life, or, you know, how about this, just encouraging them uh, to have a consistent prayer life. That's so important. You know, and so invested time in the word and in prayer, that that nurtures godly thoughts, which leads to godly emotions, which leads to sensibility, right, or godly actions. And so that's that would be important. And then the next bit of counsel is just to train the younger woman to be pure. What, what's purity? It, it's just freedom from anything that contaminates. It's, it's the quality of being faultless, uncompromised, unadulterated. Think of pure gold, You know, um, when they're purifying gold at such a high degree, there's dross that that rises to the top. And so we have to remove that in order for the gold to be pure. And in the same way, 
A life that's committed to purity is one in which sin, the dross, no longer determines the choices that you make. Um, Purity is actually one of God's perfections or qualities. He alone is perfectly pure. So he emphasizes purity in Scripture to emphasize holiness and perfection. Um, But specifically, what he's getting at here is that this purity, it's directed at chastity or modesty. It's, It's freedom from sexual immorality in your life of every kind. And a woman who's walking in godliness will desire at a heart level to keep her body pure. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 4-8 talks about this. You can read it on your own. But basically Paul says that all believers are called to excel in pleasing God and they are to grow in godliness by abstaining from sexual immorality of every kind. And one of the ways we do that is just being in control of our body, our physical body. And also, I would say modesty is an issue of the heart anyway. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, what you're thinking on. Um, And so we don't use our bodies to cause a fellow believer to sin. And and in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul uses strong language about that because he says when you do that, you're actually rejecting God because you're picking impurity over your sanctification. So again, purity is an issue of the heart, and it should manifest from believers who have a changed heart. But we still battle with the residue of sin. So we have to really fight for purity in our lives. And that's older to younger. I think everybody struggles in this area at some level. But that's where a discipler comes in. They're to help you, come alongside and help you fight the good fight. Um, And so, you know, I get the privilege of discipling mostly younger women because I work at a college. Um, But that is the number one battle that we talk about, fighting for purity. What does that really look like? You know, um, and it begins in the mind, doesn't it? Doesn't the battle begin here? <laughs> it begins in the mind. What are we thinking about? We've got to guard our hearts um, just diligently. Why? Because from it flow the wellsprings of life. We know that. Okay, workers at home, that's the next bit of counsel. Simply put, an older woman is to train a younger woman in sensibility to be a worker at home, and she's someone who guards her dwelling place, she's a keeper of her household. The emphasis that Paul is bringing out is to train her to do a good job of caring for her family, for her home, if they have a family, or her home. But inasmuch as a married woman would have this as her priority, this principle actually um, applies to the single woman as well. You have to care for your home as well, you know, so it applies to you as well. Um, But this is not a popular notion in the world today. I'm sure some of you have heard and read all kinds of negative things about what, you know, being a house, um, a homekeeper or a housewife or whatever. They don't value that. But it, it is such, but notice how valuable it is to God, you know? Um, you may also have a situation where you're, you're um, coming alongside a woman who works outside the home because she has to. And, and just know that's really hard. That's really hard when women are in that situation. They can often feel discouraged by that. And so we need to draw on our own experience and encourage them as well to be a keeper of their home, even though they work outside the home. You know, it's a balance. Of course, you know that I work. I was home with my kids when they were little, but in 2008, when we had the recession here in California, I had to go back to work, and my youngest was in junior high. That was a really hard decision for Sean and I to make. Um, Very prayerful decision that we made together. 
Um, and it was difficult. But by God's grace, um, I, I sought out counsel from those older women, those older Zionist women, helped me to think through this biblically. Of course, Sean's leading me through that. But, you know, you want to talk to your ladies too. And by God's grace, um, they just helped me to think about it differently. How can I continue to make my home a priority even though I have to work outside the home? You know, and it was helpful. It really helped me to think through motives as well. Um, it was practical. You know, I had to learn how to meal plan. What am I going to do now in a different kind of way? Um, and also just the big thing that stood out to me was just guarding family time when I was home, not bringing work home, that kind of thing, you know, when you walk through the door. Um, and so I had to learn how to get up earlier and be in God's word at the front part of my day. And that was excellent. It's, some, it's a habit I carry on to today because a Titus Toolman came alongside me and helped me to think through that. You know, um, praise the Lord. Just practical, practical. Um, I did feel very, very guilty for working outside of home. But again, um, after I examined my own motives um, and just how Sean and I talked through that, we just stepped out in faith because we knew it was the Lord's will. And the blessing in all of that is my kids went to master's. I didn't think that was actually going to happen. But that's just God's providence, right? He just kind of helps you to see it's going to be okay. So how can you encourage another woman to be a keeper of her home? And how can you encourage another woman to see the value of being a keeper of the home? That's the thing. You know, um, think about maybe studying Proverbs 31. She, that is a reflection of a lifetime in a woman. Okay. That she didn't just become that once she became married, that's a lifetime. And in the 22 verses that describe the Proverbs 31 woman, nine of those verses refer to her being a keeper of her home. So that could be a neat little study. You can get a sense of that. The next bit of counsel is just to train a younger woman to walk in kindness, or we could say to teach them what it means to be gracious to others as opposed to harsh or hard or bitter or sharp. Um, whole counsel of God tells us, 1 Corinthians thirteen four that love is kind anyway. Love is kind. So practically speaking, When we're extending kindness, we're choosing to love others by not speaking unkind words about others, even if they've hurt us. But instead, what we're doing is we are looking for active God-honoring ways to be a blessing towards them. Kindness is how you overcome evil with good, ladies. Kindness. So how can we train women to be kind when they live in a world that's filled with so much opinion and so much harshness? right? It's a virtue that we need to learn. And then last, but certainly not least, we get to to the last bit of counsel here in verse 5, which is being subject to our own husbands. This is no small subject. (laughs) This is something I could obviously teach on for a lot. But overall, Scripture teaches us that as Christ is the head of the church, so husbands are to be the head of their own wives And wives are exhorted here and in other places in Scripture to be subject to their own husbands as unto the Lord. The word Paul uses for subject is from the Greek word hupotasso, and it just simply means submission in the sense of voluntary yielding in love. A wife is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, is what Ephesians teaches us. But as a fundamental principle, you need to know that all believers are actually called to, to mutual submission um, at a reverence for Christ. That comes in Ephesians 5.21. But what you see in Ephesians 5.22 on through 6 
is that um, Paul uses the family structure to give you an illustration of what that looks like, okay? So, for example, husbands submit to Christ by leading their wives lovingly. And wives submit to Christ by following their husband's leadership unless um, the husband contradicts God's command, like actually to sin or something like that. And then later on, you find out that children, too, are instructed to submit to Christ by being obedient to their parents. Okay, so he uses a family illustration. And that dynamic mirrors the order of creation. Complementarian relationships, you've probably heard that word before, but that's what it's mirroring. And honestly, ladies, it's really an act of worship when you do that. It's an act of worship to the Lord himself. God in Scripture envisions a harmonious hand-in-glove complementarity in marriage, and it's akin to the original order in creation before the fall. And this complementarity becomes achievable when Christian husbands and Christian wives and children willingly submit to God in the way they're called in Scripture. Um, when they obey and, and when they do, you know, God is glorified, of course. God is glorified in our lives. But having said that, it's probably important to point out that submission to our own husband doesn't mean you're a slave to your husband. (laughs) You know, I think we get the wrong view. Um, It also doesn't mean that we never open our mouth um, or have an opinion or give advice. Rather, the picture is a husband and wife as a team discussing various issues that come up in our families, but the husband ultimately leads through that at the end of the day, right? But you still have conversations, you know, it's still still input, you know, talking. Um, So as an older woman, how might you encourage a younger wife to give insights and opinions in a loving and respectful manner? Sometimes we have to appeal even. So how do you do that in a loving way? Um, Or how might you encourage her to support her husband in his leadership role? You ever thought about that? How do you support your husband in his leadership role? What are some things that you do in the day-to-day? One last thought on being subject to our own husbands is it doesn't mean that a wife is inferior or less than, you know, her, her husband or something like that. Obviously, for believers, we're all one in Christ. We know that. But to keep order and harmony in the family, there's, always, there's been a division of responsibilities in our homes. And obviously, we know from Scripture so clearly that the husband's responsibility is to lead sacrificially his wife or his family as Christ leads the church and sacrificially gave himself up for, the, for us. Um, and the wife is to be her husband's helper, and a loving support, bringing herself under his headship. So as an older woman, how might you encourage a young wife in these important truths? Important, important. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. I'm running out of time, so here we go. Um, What can I say? The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in Titus 2, 3 to 5, that the seasoned, mature woman in the body of Christ should not only possess godliness in her life, but she also plays an essential role in the lives of the young women in the church. And the concept is woman-to-woman discipleship. It's hugely evident in this passage, and it should be a part of our own life in our church setting. Also, um, we took note that Paul's exhortations for the younger woman was not Titus's direct responsibility. Did you notice that? Rather, this was to be the duty of the older woman in the church. He was to encourage her to do that, um, as it should be our responsibility today. And then, of course, he expresses the purpose at the end of verse 5 for those specific exhortations by saying, so that the word of God will not be slandered, 
Some of your versions probably say blasphemed or maligned, you know, things like that, all meaning the same thing. But in Titus's day, as well as, as today, the God-given order of authority within marriage and the home life, basically what was happening, it was becoming confused, it was becoming compromised, and so that's one of the reasons why he lays this out as well. But as women of, of Grace Life, or we could say Grace Community Church, we must do our part, and we, we need to take care that we, by our own conduct, that we uh, don't give cause for blasphemy, blasphemy against God or against his word. Rather, our conduct as a disciple of Christ, even towards each other, should always contribute to the glory of God. Amen? All right, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for your word, which gives us everything we need for our life and for godliness. Thank you for reminding us how we might come alongside and just help one another, our sisters in the faith. Lord, I'm so aware that life is not easy, this side of heaven, um, but we want to grow, Lord. We want to bring glory to your name. And so as older women, um, help us to grow in reverence and gracious, um, godly speech in our self-control. Help us to desire to encourage and train the next generation. And as younger women, help us to want to be discipled by the older saints, to be learners, to be teachable, and really just to desire to be encouraged and trained in these different areas of our, our life. And Lord, I realize that there's a bigger picture in view, and, and that is your son. And so help us ultimately to be billboards for the gospel in our lives and in our discipleship efforts, and we'll give you all the praise in the process. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.